This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to What If here on Anfield Index Pro with me, your host, Mark Roberts, and I'm delighted to be joined by the voice of Anfield Index, host of many a podcast, it's Dave Hendrick. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, mate. I don't know if I'm the voice of Anfield Index that anybody wants. I think I think Downey has the voice that people really want. Downey has that lovely, uh, sultry kind of voice, and mine's more like, a, I don't know, a hacksaw or something. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, but... The voice of many an Anfield Index podcast. We won't go into them all because that would take up the full hour just listing the ones that you're on at the moment. But delighted to have you joining me for the second time on What If after the success of the Alex Ferguson one. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was fun doing the Alex Ferguson one. So it's, I'm looking forward to doing this. I think this is a, an interesting one to do because there's kind of ramifications in both ways, you know. Yes, definitely. So when we came up with a concept for, for the What If, we, we launched it in the Anfield Index Discord group, which if you're not involved in already, you should be. And this was one of the most common themes that came up that people wanted us to talk about. So what we're talking about today is the 13-14 season and what would have happened if Liverpool would have won the league that year. So the way I thought we'd start it, Dave, is if we're going to talk about what if we'd won the league, we, we kind of need to look at how we could have won the league. And the, the main thing people talk about is obviously the Gerard slip and then Chris Stambul, as they like to call it, the three-all draw with Crystal Palace. But I wanted to look back a bit further into the season for that. And there's a few instances. There's the stinking 3-1 defeat away to Hull. There's the one they loss at home to Southampton. And another one when I was doing the research is the the two away games over the Christmas period, away at Man City and away at Chelsea. Mm. And that offside decision against Raheem Sterling in the Man City game. So there's quite a few there. But, so why is it you think that everybody sort of focuses on on the Gerrard slip and the, the free over Crystal Palace and not some of those insepid early performances, if you like to say that, 1-0. It's what people always do, Mark. 
It's what people always do. You will find people that will tell you that this past season, when we've again finished second, that the reason we didn't win the league is because we drew at home with Spurs and we drew with City. But the reason we didn't win the league this past season was Brighton at home, Brentford away, West Ham away and Leicester away. They're the results that cost us the title in the same way that in this season, the the games that cost us are Swansea away, Southampton at home, Newcastle away, and Hull. I mean, they're the games that cost us the title. You can throw in the Villa one in January as well and the West Brom one, but we dropped too many points in the first half of the season. Because if you look at that run we went on, after we lost those back-to-back games over the Christmas, we go on, on, on an almighty run where we only drop points four times for the rest of the season, for the whole second half of the season. We win 15 of 19 and draw three. You know, regardless of what happened against Chelsea and Palace, that's still a really good run. To win 15, draw three and lose only one, that's a great run. The problem was before Christmas, when we lost, or before the turn of the year, when we lost five games and had multiple bad draws, that's where we lost the title. It wasn't, it wasn't late in the season. No, as you say, it's 12 times we dropped points that season. And mm. the Swansea one rings familiar to me as well, because in between the 1-0 against Man United and the Swansea game, the birth of my first daughter happened which was great. I remember watching that game with her. And again, yeah, a 2 all draw away at a poor Swansea team. That's points dropped that we shouldn't have been dropped, really. And I wanted to bring up the Southampton game with you in particular because one of your favourite defenders of all time, Mr Pebbles himself, scored the goal against us that game. Yeah, he did. Um, Look, there was a lot of times over this season where Brendan Rodgers did things that were... Very, very questionable. Like, very, very questionable. And this game is one of those times. So if you think back to this game, we're playing Southampton at home. They're a decent team. They're not an incredible team. And Rodgers goes with four centre-backs in our team, Um, which is, you know... Not exactly the best way to go about things in a home match against a team that we should be expecting to beat. Brendan plays four centre-backs. We're completely stunted going forward. And that Southampton team includes a number of future Liverpool players. The Pebble, Lalana, <laughs> Lambert, uh, Nat Klein is in that Southampton team as well. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's a stinker of a result. I remember watching that game and just been in awe of how bad we were, like of how lost we looked and how how much we struggled to build out from the back, which was Roger's whole thing, was building out from the back and trying to be a possession-based team. Now, to his credit, he wasn't as bad at this point as he had been when he arrived first because obviously in the previous January, we'd signed... Coutinho and Sturridge and he kind of turned the team over to Suarez at this point and that front three were able to and and Sterling had emerged and those four players were able to carry us despite the fact that defensively we're a bit of a train wreck and in midfield 
were getting very, very little from anybody. Um, we'd had, obviously, a, an interesting summer, bringing in Luis Alberto, who has gone on to have a great career with Lazio, but Rodgers never took a shine to for some reason. Iago Aspas, who got very limited minutes, but has proven himself as a very good player for Celta Vigo. Simon Mignolet arrived, Colo Toure arrived, Thiago Alori arrived, and obviously massive disappointment there because he had so much talent and his career has never worked out. And Mamadou Sacco arrived, who was sort of our big defensive improvement. The issue is we signed Sacco, whose primary position was the same as Daniel Agger, who was our best defender. And we didn't address the right side of centre-backs, but we still had Skirtle playing all too often. And our full-backs, well, I mean, Glenn Johnson, Jose Enrique, Ali Sissoko and John Flanagan. Not exactly filling you with with hope having that no. group of, of fullbacks. When you compare them to the fullbacks we're, we're lucky to have now under Jurgen, it's mm. remarkable, really, isn't it? But the interesting thing that I, I sort of wanted to pick up on, I was listening to the old school you did with Gags and Marco last week, and it's a similar sort oh. of argument for this season that you and Marco were having that beating the dross cost us or Marco was saying not getting the results of Man City and Chelsea and Spurs that we didn't beat any of them this season. And if you look at the results against them in this season, obviously we beat Man City 3-2 towards the end of the season with a delay Coutinho, but we'd lost away to Man City. We lost home and away to Chelsea. Fantastic results to Tottenham with a 5-0 away and 4-0 at home. But just, I sided with you, if I'm perfectly honest, and think, yeah, you look at the results there and... It's understandable losing away to City and Chelsea. They were yeah. both very good teams at the moment. And we had the Raheem Sterling offside goal that didn't count. Mm. And, but yeah, away, away at Hull. Yeah, I mean, look. 2-2 two, two at Newcastle, 2-2 two, two at West Brom. It's those results that, for me, um, to sing from Simon Brundish's hymn sheet, if you beat the Dross, you win the league. You win the league. league. That's we... evident that season. It's, there was too many of them. Exactly. I mean, look. 2-2 two, two draw with Swansea. Swansea finished 12th that season. 1-0 defeat to Southampton. They finished 8th, so at least they're a top-half team. 2-2 uh, at Newcastle. They finished 10th. 10 uh, men Newcastle, though, to be fair. It was they 10 men Newcastle. They 40 did. 40 minutes. 40 which... minutes. So, and they managed to score after that and go ahead in the game. Um, we lost to Arsenal, and there's no shame in that. They finished 4th. We drew with Everton. They finished 5th. So, again, it was a good Everton team. But we got beaten by Hull, and we got absolutely torn apart in that game, if you remember, by Hull. Oh, it was horrendous, wasn't it? And, like, they finished 16th. City and Chelsea, they finished first and third, respectively. Um, We draw with Villa, they finished 15th. We draw with West Ham, or sorry, West Brom, they finished 17th. So, West Brom, Hull, and Villa. Just take those three, and, and Swansea. Just take those three. Oh, sorry, those four. Take those four games. That's four games we should be winning. That's nine points lost from those four games. And if we take nine points, we win the league by seven. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's where we lost the title in those games against bad teams. Not against, not against Chelsea. And not even against Palace, because at that point it was gone. And Palace, remember, had that really strong second half of the season under under Tony Pulis, 
when he took over, because they looked dead and buried when he took over, and he kind of saved them. But it is, it's it's Swansea, and even you can throw that one out because they finished 12th. It's Villa, it's Hull, it's West Brom. That's where the league was lost. Look, we'll get into it as we get later in the season, but we started the Anfield Index podcasts th- this season, this 13-14 season, and I can't remember the exact date. I don't remember the exact game after which we did the first one. Um, but I remember from the off, none of us had any expectation that we could win the league, even though, you know, we were fourth, second, we were first a couple of weeks, we were second, we were third. We were never outside the top four for the first 17 weeks of the season. And after week 17, when we beat Cardiff, we were top. So that's often people's argument. Oh, well, you dropped, we dropped those points, but we were still top. Fine, but we weren't top by enough. Like, it, just because you're top, it doesn't mean it's by enough. You, you have to build out your lead. And the way to build out your lead is, like Simon Brundish has said for, well, as long as he's been involved at Anfield Index, beat the dross, win the league. And if we'd yeah. beaten the dross this season, and even just those three teams, we would have won the league. If we'd beaten Hull, as we should have, not lost 3-1. We'd have won the league. If we beat West Brom, as we should have, rather than drawing one all, we'd have won the league. If we'd beaten Aston, a really bad Aston Villa team at home, we would have won the league. But we didn't. And like that, that's where we lost the title this season. That that and some very questionable Brendan Rogers decisions we, are we where we the lost the title. Brendan decision. Just to go off on a bit of a side track here, because we, we like to do that here at Anfield Index. When I did the, the first what if, the, the Robbie Keane one, and again, it was interesting looking at the 8 9 season, and we dropped more points in the first half of the season than we did in the second half of the season that season as well. So that's three seasons now where arguably our form up to Christmas has cost us winning the league rather than our form afterwards. And certainly under Jürgen, that tends to be the time where he rotates more, and then in the back end of the season, he, he sort of sticks with his 14, 15 players. So do you think there's lessons to be learned there that we can't even early on in the season afford to be taking risks and, and rotating as much as he has done? Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing with Jürgen because, you know, he's he's finished second twice now. This past season, the title was lost in the first half of the season. But you look at 18-19 when we also finished second and we only dropped points in three of our first 20 games, we draw with Chelsea, we draw with City, we draw with Arsenal. There's no bad result there. Drawn away to Arsenal, even though they weren't a particularly good Arsenal team, they were still decent, but it's still Arsenal. Drawing away to Chelsea, drawing at home to City. There's no bad results there. We lose away to City. That's not a bad result. It's disappointing. It's not a bad result. We lost that season in the second half of the year. It was Leicester at home. We should have beaten them. Uh, West Ham away. We should have beaten them. United away. We should have beaten them. Everton away. We we lost that one in the second half season. But it is of our second place finishes. Three of them have been as a result of the first half of the season. That's when we, we kind of let ourselves down a little bit. And I don't know what the lesson to learn is other than have a better squad. I mean, Klopp does like to rotate more in the second half of the season and then sort of, you know, 
settling on his team going into February, and that's kind of it. And there's one like the the twenty players he might have been using kind of shrinks to fifteen, and he's got fifteen core fellas that he trusts. And unfortunately for us, a couple of those core lads aren't good enough, but a couple of the twenty weren't good enough in the first half of the season either. Um. So yeah, I mean. Again, it is. It's just. About, it is about having a stronger squad. It is about taking advantage of seasons where City start poorly. It is about when they're strong and going hard, matching them. And that's where we lost at this past season. Was we didn't match them through the first half of the season. We got to the turn of the year and we were what twelve points behind City. I know we had a couple of games in hand, but we're twelve points behind them and playing catch up at that point. Whereas thirteen fourteen was. Kind of, you know, we were matching everybody. We were top of the league after 17 games, but you were still looking at it and going, kind of, we're we're missing an opportunity here to have a bigger lead, like a, a strong lead at the top end of the table, where we could have been and should have been, I don't know, six, seven points clear, and and we just weren't because we lost games and and drew games against bad teams. Yeah, absolutely, and. It is frustrating, and again, I can just see researching for this pod that the similarities between the 13-14 season and this season. And again, you look at the Rodri handball, for example, against Everton that wasn't given. And you look at the, the two Christmas games, City away, Chelsea away, there's the obvious Raheem Sterling. He was clearly onside, wasn't given, and who knows how that game would have turned out. But even the Chelsea game a couple of days later, Samuel Eto'o, after three minutes, goes in, and that clearly should have been a red card tackle and that's not given. So you just think as well that you don't want to bitch and moan about referees, but minor decisions like that, when the margins are so tight, mm. do play a part. And especially in a big away game like that, three days after you've been and away the, to City. The Sterling one though, was this, like, so egregious. Like he was miles onside. Like yeah. it wasn't a thing like it was close. He was miles onside. He was. And, you know, I mean, look, City fans will, will try and argue that, oh, well, if he'd been onside, the keeper might have saved it. Like, shut up. No, he wouldn't. Um, no, not at no, all. The form got, Sterling we, was we in got holes that in that one. Uh, We've so had Gags it. Is me, City. Gags is telling me we started doing these in, in the November of uh, 2013, these Anfield Index podcasts. I so, seem to remember it in and around the whole game, and then there was there was the big calls then that you guys were making about would Brendan have a balls to drop Gerard to drop Gerard. That was that was the very first podcast. Does Brendan have the balls to drop Stephen Gerrard? Because and again at the time, he, well at the time he, he always is, always will be a club legend, the 19th, a club icon. Nobody so else was sort of calling him out for he was he wasn't playing well at that point at all, and it, it was refreshing to hear fan media actually tell it like it is and not just sing from the club hymn sheet. So it was it was the nineteenth of um, November, four days before we played Everton in the derby. So we'd beaten Fulham on the ninth, and we started up on the nineteenth, and. Yeah, that was that was the question. Will he like there's the history has been rewritten about this season that Gerard was incredible. And the truth is he actually wasn't at all. He had a great run from when he got moved positions. So 
we were doing these podcasts for ages. Well, ages. We were doing them for two months. And one of the common themes was Stevie is really struggling at the minute. And I've been suggesting for a couple of weeks that maybe the best thing to do with him was to sit him deeper in midfield and put runners either side of him, put Henderson and Joe Allen or Henderson and whoever either side of him and let them do all the running and just let him dictate play. And finally that happened against Stoke. He dropped Lucas Leva, who'd been a train wreck for most of the season. You didn't need to say season now. <laughs> yeah, well, he'd been a train wreck for years. But um, uh, he dropped Lucas, he put Henderson, uh, put Jared in the deeper role, and he went with, I think that first game it was Joe Allen and Henderson either side of him. And that's kind of where it really took off for Stevie. And he had a really good run from then up until the Chelsea game. There was a couple of stinkers that he had in there. I mean, Swansea at home, I remember John Joe Shelby absolutely rinsed him. But, you know, for the most part, he was really good through that second half of the season. But in Wasn't this first there a time, half, he was really poor. As well, where it was still on the, if you've got 10 bookings, you had a two-game ban. And there was like three games where he had to survive and everybody was thinking and panicking that he's going to pick up a yellow mm. here and have a two-game ban. And he got through the three games without. And, and again, things like the, the Fulham away game with the, the 91st-minute penalty the and pass. stuff like that. that and the pass there, the assist there. But the things like that do tend to cloud people's judgment. And the match of the day fans, if you like, that just see the highlights of that, will think he was playing brilliantly. But as you said before that, he wasn't playing well no, at all. So I remember and the, the move of position reinvigorated him. It did entirely. I remember the derby, the, the 3-3 at Goodison, and he was absolutely horrific. He was absolutely terrible. They just pissed by him in midfield. Because he couldn't run anymore. Like, his legs were gone at this point. And the truth is that Gerrard had a number of bad years to finish out his Liverpool career. Like, his last great year was 08-09. He had a couple of okay seasons after that, but he was never the same player after 08-09. It's just that the memory of him is different to, to the reality of what happened. Like, people forget how, how injury-prone he was in those last years, especially when Kenny was in charge. Like, 2009-10, he had a good season. Not a great season, but a good season. 10-11, he's injury-prone. He plays only 24 games. 11-12, plays 28 games, injury-prone again. 12-13 is the first year with Rodgers, and Rodgers is really struggling when he takes over. Doesn't really know what he wants the team to be. He doesn't have the right players to play his style of football. He's got Nuri Sahin in on loan. Ideally, he would have been playing Sahin in the deepest role and Gerrard in the 10. For some reason, he swaps them around. It doesn't work at all. It's a mess. The first half of the season is is a throwaway. And the second half of the season, he goes to a bit more of a 4-2-3-1 and, and Suarez just takes off and runs him up with Sterling and, Ster- and um, Sturridge and, and Coutinho. And then 13-14 is the same kind of thing. Gerard really struggles for half the year and then has this great run for probably 15 games with one or two stinkers in there. And then the last season was just a mess. Like, the decision to play him as much as he did, as if he was doing him some sort of tribute, when actually he was just doing him harm. Like, Stephen Gerrard didn't have the legs to play nearly as much 
for the last three years he was at the club, but Rodgers just kept forcing him out there game after game. And Gerrard probably wanted to play, but a better manager, a better, a stronger personality would have would have had more of a of a you know a hard line on that. And he would have picked and chose Stevie's moments better because when Stevie was on it, he was still great, and you could put him out into a big game and he could still turn it on and he could give you 60 unbelievable minutes. But then you needed to take him off and, and rest him for a week. Whereas Rogers would run him into the ground for the last 30 of that game and then roll him out four days later. And you would see it with Stevie. He was laboring. And as we got towards the end of the season, he was really starting to struggle with the pace of things and how much he'd been played. Played 39 games across all competitions, 34 in the league. He was really starting to struggle with how many minutes were in his legs. So, yeah, it does get rewritten that he had this incredible season. Numbers-wise, it was fantastic. I think he had 13 and 11 or 13 and 12. Most of those goals are penalties. Most of the assists are set pieces. His, his open play numbers weren't great. And like I said, when we started these podcasts, he was really struggling. And the first podcast was, does Brendan have the balls? And then he played in the Everton game and he was absolutely shocking. And then he played in the, then we played Hull and he was absolutely shocking. He scored, but he was terrible. And we were like, he, he has to drop him at this point. He has to drop him. And then we went, we won three or four in a row. And then we lost those two games, but then things picked up after that and we went on that run. And Stevie, because of the position change, did go to a, a high level. And did perform really well because others were doing his, his running for him. He could just stand in the middle of the park and run the game. And his passing, his intelligence, it was exceptional. But like you mentioned with the yellow cards, I mean, he was picking up yellow cards left, right and center because he couldn't run. And he was never a particularly good defensive player. He could throw in the big spectacular tackle, but positionally and all that kind of stuff, he'd never been, it's not his fault, he'd never been coached to do that. You know, he that, that part of his development was just skipped because they threw him into the team and a right wing roll back under Julier and then Rafa played him right wing and as a 10, Capello played him left wing. There's a reason those managers, by far the three best managers Stevie G ever had, all avoided playing him in central midfield. Yep. Fully agree. Fully, fully agree. But you mentioned there about spectacular season we can't talk about the 13-14 season without mentioning possibly one of the greatest seasons any Liverpool player has ever had and Luis Suarez was absolutely sensational since he came back into the team after his his ban at the start of the year for his bite the previous season he was unplayable pretty much every game he took to the field for Liverpool that season yeah he, he was just like it's, it's it is the best season anyone's ever had for the club it is just ludicrous what he did that year. He comes back in. Sunderland is, is his first game in the league. And he scores twice. And then he, he is just absolutely off to the races. And no one could touch him. And the thing is, you look at that Liverpool team that season. And most players had career years with Suarez, like elevating them all. That season, that title challenge is Luis Suarez and supporting cast. 
that's not some great managerial job by Rodgers. That is one incredible player, arguably at that point from the start of that. I would say from the start of that season when he came back. In fact, no, I'd go further. I would say from January 2013 to the end of this season, 13-14, Luis Suarez is the best player on the planet. And I think he goes to Barca, has that first year he misses a bunch of games because obviously he bit uh, Chiellini at the World Club, a World Cup. And then 15-16, I think he was the best player on the planet again. I think for about two and a half out of three and a half years, Suarez was the best player in the world. Above Messi, above Cristiano, he was the best player in the world. And his work ethic, his his drive, his pressing, winning the ball back, just making everybody around him better, which is the real mark of a great player, is to make others better. And he elevated Raheem Sterling to a level that Raheem would again go on and replicate, but at City, surrounded by world-class players for two years. But it would take him about four years to get to that level. Daniel Sturridge was never as good again. Coutinho had a great run late at Liverpool, but in the interim seasons wasn't as good as he was at this point. Henderson, I don't think, has ever been as good as he was in this season. I think this role suited him to perfection as well. Um, Joe Allen was never as good. It was, like I said, it was the last kind of swan song for Stevie the last great period for Stevie out of a three or four year sequence. Suarez just made everybody so much better, just lifted them all up. And you do give Rodgers credit for having the bottle and being a big enough man to put his pride to one side because he arrived with this, you know, manifesto and philosophy and all this kind of stuff. And he was going to play, patient possession football and when it didn't work he he at least was smart enough to go you know what let's just build this team around him let's make him the focal point of everything and trust that he'll make everybody else better and that's what he did and and that's why we had this season is because Suarez was just so much better than everybody else in the league by far the best player in the league and like I said I think it's the best season anyone's ever had for us Absolutely, and to to put a what if in the what if, if you like, if he, if he hadn't have done that bite the year before and had that ban, and he would have played just in the the Swansea two all and the one 0 defeat at home to Southampton, if he if he turns those into two wins, that's five points more, and the rest of it it almost becomes irrelevant. Really, it's it's those two games where he was missing, and we really missed him, which is a shame that that happened. Really, because the rancid performances away at Hull and the the losses away to City and Chelsea, even they could have become irrelevant if he was fit, Mm. not not fit, but if he was available for those two games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, in particular, that Swansea game, I remember just thinking we're completely turgid in attack here. And I think Victor Moses scored. and He did indeed. You know, Victor Victor Moses, Moses. to be fair, Moses probably played instead of Suarez that night. So at least he did get a goal. The Southampton one, like I said, the the, the Rodgers playing four centre-backs um, and us being completely blunt in attack, Suarez definitely would have changed that. There's no question he changes that game and, you know, at least gets us a point. And maybe if we get a point there, 
and we beat Swansea, you know, I mean, that's enough. That wins us the title. Yeah. That's three extra points. We win the title by, by one point. And I mean, look, we were, we were just, we were so bad in the, in those two games in particular, we were so, so bad because Sturridge had carried us, you know, we won the first three games, one nil Sturridge scores in all of them. Uh, he scores again against Swansea, and we're thinking Sturridge is going to have himself an unbelievable season, and he did. Sturridge was great that year, but he couldn't do it all by himself. And the other factor of this is is just how bad we were defensively this season. Um, yeah. We conceded 50 goals, and a big part of that is because of the lack of a real defensive midfielder, which everybody, I think, by by the end of this season, I think people were sick of listening to me talk about the need for a defensive midfielder. But they saw the value once we finally got Fabinho and we went on and won major trophies once we had a real defensive midfielder. You won't win anything without a real defensive midfielder. You're just, you're just not going to win. Like, look at City. Rodri was their best midfielder across the whole season. You know, when we won the title, Henderson had the best run he's had since this season as the defensive midfielder. And Fabinho was brilliant there when Henderson wasn't playing. Um, or, or and obviously before Henderson moved in there, Fabinho was brilliant from August to November. Um, the Chelsea team that won the the title under Conte, Matic and Kante. The Leicester team that won the title had Kante. You're not winning this Premier League unless you're Man United and unless you've got some sort of Ferguson voodoo. You're not winning this league without a great defensive midfielder, and even most of his teams had great defensive midfielders. Like, he had Roy Keane. But Arsenal had Vieira. Mourinho had Essien and Makaleli. Like, you need a great defensive midfielder to win the title in England. And we didn't have one at this point. And our defence was just... I mean, it was a shambles. It was an absolute shambles. We conceded 50 goals. City win the league, conceding 37. Chelsea third, 27. Arsenal four fifty one, Everton fifth thirty nine, Tottenham sixth with fifty one, but then United, Southampton, Crystal Palace all concede less goals than us. Only three of the top eleven conceded more goals than us that season, and that's what caused us as well the Absolutely. inability to keep clean sheets in in a lot of games. As you see, you look, you look now. We're, we're what sort of mid twenties, twenty six? Yeah, that we can see now. That's a monumental difference, that. Yeah, it? it's half, half. Yeah. Like we don't, and, and we don't score. Like we could score hundred goals, but we don't score as many. We score like a high night, a mid nineties, or whatever. But you don't need to score as many goals if you concede less goals. No. Like if you keep a clean sheet, you only need to score one goal to win a game. If you Concede one, you need two to win a game. You concede two, you need three to win a game. You know, there's games here. Um, Newcastle, we concede two goals. Arsenal, two goals. Everton, three goals. Hull, three goals. City, two goals. Chelsea, two goals. Stoke, three goals. Stoke scored three against us. Aston Villa, two goals. Fulham, two goals. Swansea, three goals. Cardiff, three goals. Uh, City, two goals. Norwich, two goals. Chelsea, two goals. Palace, three goals. That's far too many games to be conceding multiple goals. It like, is, it's it's c- not all about clean sheets, but you've got to be conceding max one a game. 
max won a game to give yourself a real chance. Like, ideally, you want to have your defensive record. Ideally, you want to have it mid-20s like it is now. But if you're going to win the league, you've got to, kind of got to have it somewhere in that, you know, 36, 37 or lower range. You've got to be conceding just under one goal a game. Because if you're a really good team, you'll score two a game. But when you're asking a group of players to score threes and fours and fives and sixes, that's when you start to get in trouble. And again, I, I seem to recall at the time, you or Gags and the other people, and they are saying that. And again, it's the six three against Cardiff. It's great and it's exciting and it's it's brilliant to watch. And nobody really focuses then on the free conceded because we've scored six. But it's things like that that do need to be addressed because, as you say, later down the line, it ends up costing you and letting three goals into Hull and things like that. It's yes, you've won that Cardiff game, but the three goals are still a problem and it's a mm. problem that needs to be addressed. But it was glossed over a bit too much for me throughout the season that because the attacking play was so good, it was, oh, you score four, we'll score five. And that's that's great for the odd game here and there, and it works. But over the course of the season, it's never going to work, and it is going to no. cost you, and it did cost us. But I remember this, like, we, we were doing these podcasts at the time. I was living in Australia uh, at this point, and there was a couple of other Liverpool podcasts that popped up as well around the same kind of time and, and you know, you'd, you'd listen to hear what they were saying and whatever else. And I remember this narrative on one podcast in particular and on Twitter that Martin Skirtle was having a great season because he scored seven goals. And I remember thinking, like, this isn't reality. Like, he, it's just not true that he's having a great season. Because defensively, we're a train wreck. We're going to concede 50 this season. And while he may have scored seven, he scored, I think, three or four own goals that year as well. And he gave away a raft of penalties. I think we added it up at the end of the season. And, like, he between own goals and penalties given away, he was at, like, nine for the year. So he was... <laughs> He was in, at a negative two in terms of goals scored versus goals gifted. That didn't count the errors that he made that led to other goals. And he was a foundational part of a defence that conceded 50 goals. Like, that's not a good season. He played 36 games. He was almost ever present. That's not a good season. And there was this kind of myth that you know, Skirtle has one good season and one bad season. He was bad last year and he's been good this year. And he hadn't been good that year at all. No. Again, he, but he, he and Leiva got away with murder for whatever reason. They were always part of defences that were just really, really bad. And even our defensive record improved uh, ever so slightly, not by much, but ever so slightly once Leiva got dropped out of the team. <laughs> Right, so so we've had our, our look back, our, our nostalgic view, at some of the highs as well as some of the lows, but it's crystal ball time now, so this is going to be painful. We didn't win the league, we finished second, and that summer, the transfers, <laughs> horrible to say. R- Ricky Lambert for four million, Liverpool, boyhood Liverpool fan, living his dream, fair enough. Adam Lallana, 25 million, Emery Chan, 10 million. Lazar Markovic, 20 million. Dejan Lovren, 20 million. Big Div, the legend, 10 million. Albi Moreno, 12 million. And Mario Balotelli, 16 million. Mm. 
not many successes there, I think it's fair to say, <laughs> Dave. But I don't know. Looking at, I think Suarez was going anyway. He'd sort of yeah. been promised the year before, whether we'd won the league or not. He was off to Barcelona anyway. The other people that left, Connor Cody went to Huddersfield Town. Pepe Reina went to Bayern Munich. He'd already been ousted from the first team by Mignolet. Martin Kelly, Jack Robinson, Daniel Agger, who, again, was one of my favourite ever Liverpool defenders, but was injury-prone and Saka would kind of come in and, and take in his spot rightly or wrongly. Asaidi left and Suso left. So nobody really there other than Suarez that we missed leaving and, and would have wanted well, to stay. Well, no, I, I would argue we did miss Agger. I, I would argue, because if you think of it right, we have Saka as the, as the starting left-sided centre-back. Agger's a brilliant backup. And then you can manage his games if he's the backup, but he's only having to play 15 times a season. And he loves the club. He's loved by the fans. He loves Absolutely the city. He's got a bunch of businesses. He's very much settled in the city. And we we forced him out the door. Well, we, we didn't. Brendan Rodgers forced him out the door for three million quid to Bronby. Whereas we could have just kept him and used him. And instead, we spunked 20 million on Dejan the Pebble Lovren, who, for anyone that had actually bothered watching Southampton the previous season and had actually just listened to me when I spoke about it that summer, he was not a good defender. He had a really good first half of the season for Southampton, really good. But they had a really good first half of the season. And if you look back, you will find tweets from one Daniel Kennett in in and around the sort of December-January mark saying Southampton's underlying numbers suggest that they will finish in the top four. You know, so they were having a good run at that point. You look at up to week 12, they were in the top four. And then they had a really bad run. But again, the underlying numbers were very strong. And they end up finishing eighth. But if you actually dig into things at Southampton that year, the right back is Nathaniel Klein, a good defensive right back that we end up buying. The left back is Luke Shaw, who at that point was probably the best young fullback England had produced in, well, since Ashley Cole came through at Arsenal, which had been 15 years before that. Jose Font was the right-side centre-back, a very good, very reliable centre-back. And then Lovren was the left-side centre-back. When Southampton signed Lovren, Leon thought they had won the lottery. <laughs> they were they were shopping him round Europe to anyone that would take him for five to six million. And Saints paid ten. And the major newspapers in France thought Southampton had lost their minds. In his, I think, three years at Southampton, he'd been named in the worst team of the year twice. He'd been named the worst defender in the league once. He tried to blame it all on the media having an agenda against him. But the fact is that Leon, he was shit. And Leon flees <laughs> Southampton. So he goes to Southampton and he's in that defence. So he's with three good defenders. And in front of him is Morgan Schneidlin, who went on to, to United and was a very good kind of box-to-box breaker up of play and Victor Wanyama who at that point 2013 was the best sitting midfielder in the league an immense shield 
And when Wanyama got hurt, they fell apart. That's when they had that bad run. And Lovren started to look like an absolute liability. And yes, he scored against us in the first game. But if you go back to the second game of that season, which is the game at St. Mary's on the 1st of March, he is at fault for two of our three goals. The first one that he's at fault for, he just charges at a position for a ball. <laughs> he can't get anywhere close. Something we became very familiar with seeing him do. And yep. the second one, he doesn't see a runner running past and he just stands there like a fool. In the other goal, he also helped play people on side, but he wasn't the only one. But he was awful in that game. He was awful. And he was awful in a lot of their games in the back half of the season. And I remember watching the games and speaking to Southampton fans, and they were saying, like, this guy is just not very good. He's just not very good at all. And then we sign him for £20 million, a downgrade on Agar for £17 million outlay. Whereas what we needed was a partner for Sackle, a right-footed, right-sided partner for Sackle. And Rogers, and I, I don't know if it was because so many people were making such a stink of the fact that well, we have a good left-side centre-back, why are we signing another one? Rogers was asked by one of the local press in pre-season, why have you signed Lovren, who plays left side, when you have Sackle? And he said, oh, but he's right-footed, so that means he can play right side as well. No, it doesn't, Brendan. That doesn't mean <laughs> that at all. Like, as I, as I tried to tell people at that time, and people dismissed what I had to say, centre-backs specialise. Right-footed centre-backs specialise, because there's far more right-footed players than there is left-footed players. So if you're a left-footed centre-back, you're just playing on the left and that's it. If you're a right-footed centre-back, you're going to be asked to specialise on the left if your team already has someone else to play on the right. He was a, a specialist left-sided centre-back. And he was fucking awful. <laughs> he was absolutely awful. And I was against that signing. I was against Lalana because I'd been watching Lalana for a couple of years at this point. And it was clear he was like an empty shirt in a lot of games. And we spent 50 million quid on those two and Ricky Lambert. 50 million quid on those three. And the funniest part is the two big money signings are Lovren and Lalana, a left-sided centre-back and an attacking midfielder. Well, two of the few strengths we had left once Suarez was gone was a left-sided centre-back in Sacco and an attacking midfielder in Coutinho. So we basically yep. signed players for positions we were already strong in and didn't address the flaws that were in our team already. So how Rodgers thought this was going to improve us, I don't know. But, you know, you look at the other players that came in. Emery, to be fair, Emery was good for us. Markovic... Rogers absolutely destroyed that for his confidence. Sorry, mistreated him appalling. It was it's an absolute disgrace what, what went on with Markovic. Um Divock but didn't arrive for a year, so was no real benefit to us at that point. Uh Albi had good moments and bad moments, I think it's fair to say. Um was a lovable type of personality, but wasn't quite of the level we needed. And then obviously the ba Balotelli thing just again, turned out to be a disaster. I, I had high hopes that 
the talent would prevail, that Rodgers would be able to work him into a system the way he had with Suarez and manage a difficult personality and get the best of him. But as soon as I heard Rodgers say, I'm going to improve him not just as a player but as a man, I knew we were fucked. I, I, I knew it was over. I knew it was over at that point. And I, again, I hope that when you know when Klopp took over, he might take a run at trying to you know solve the Balotelli puzzle, but he just couldn't be arsed. Um, so yeah, Mario was a disaster. Lovren was a disaster. Lalana was a disaster. Lambert was a disaster. Markovic, I think I mentioned, yeah, he was. So like, there's thirty six. Uh, 41, 60, well, there's 65 million that you might as well have lit on fire, which is the same 65 million we got for Luis Suarez. It so, is. No. But the, the thing that concerns, confuses me, if you like, is that we were so close to winning the league, it was only a small percentage off. But hmm. I, I don't think the summer transfer window would have been much different, even if we'd have won it under no. Brendan's hands. Suarez Not looking now at what Brendan's. Absolutely, he, he sort of had the agreement before, and then he and Arsenal had made that forty plus one million, and Gerard had convinced him to give it one more year and to stay, and so he was off anyway. And as you said, the the big money outlays were on positions of strength, arguably in our team. And Brendan's record in the transfer window since then makes me think that even if we'd have won it, they wouldn't Suarez wouldn't have stayed anyway. We've we've agreed that. I don't think Brendan would have wanted anybody other than a Lovren or a Lan. I think he would have targeted those players whether we'd won mm. the league or not. And they're obviously going to say yes, jumping from Southampton up to Liverpool and to a team that's just won the league. So I don't really think that summer would have been much different. No, it wouldn't have. Um, so Rodgers takes over start of the 12-13 season. And as part of the agreement, he gets you know, a, a lot of involvement in the, the transfers. Um, and he signs Fabio Barini and Joe Allen. They're the two he goes and gets us. The the transfer committee are in place at this point, and they get Nuri Sahin on loan. And Asaidi, who was more of an experiment to see if certain data points were working. Uh, he obviously didn't work out. Sahin didn't work out. Barini definitely didn't work out. Joe Allen, I suppose it kind of worked for a while. In the January, Rodgers gets control of the transfers taken off him because Rodgers wants Wesley Schneider and Theo Walcott. <laughs> and the committee go, no, we'll get you similar players, but you're not getting those two because just no. So we get Sturridge and Coutinho, and they work, and they work brilliantly. And, you know, we go into 13-14, and again, it's it's largely committee-led transfers that bring in uh, Alberto and Aspas and Ilori and um, and Sacco. Colo Toure is a free, it makes sense. And Mignolet was, you know, a proven Premier League goalkeeper who had success in saving high volumes of shots, which the expectation was we were going to give up a lot of shots. And we bring in Sissoko and Moses on loan. We almost win the league and Brendan renegotiates his contract. And in doing so, gets himself control of transfers at Liverpool. Or, or more control of transfers. So that's why you see Lambert, Lalana, Lovren. That's why they arrive, because Brendan wants those players. And the committee managed to work in Emre and Divock. Fuck knows how Balotelli ends up at the club. Um, uh, Markovic, I assume, was a, was a committee signing as well. It didn't work, obviously. 
But you know, yeah. you, all you need to do is look at fifteen, sixteen again when Brendan is still pulling the strings, and it's it's Milner, it's Ings, it's Benteke, it's Klein. He fights against the signing of Firmino. He fights against the possibility of signing Memphis Depay. So the committee want Memphis and Bobby, and Rogers pushes back and says, "I want Benteke," and the only way I'm I'm accepting Firmino is if I get Benteke, and that's what we end up with. So. You know, and then he tries to claim credit for Joe Gomez, which is just one of the funniest things I've ever heard. But Rogers was just terrible in the transfer market, and he's been, he was poor in the transfer market at Celtic. Uh, his record at Leicester is patchy, and it's only patchy because they don't give him full control. Yeah, but you can you can tell a Rogers signing him all a mile away, like Yannick Vestergaard and, and Ryan Bertrand. They're very Brendan signings. Um, but yeah, I mean. The, the, that transfer window is a disaster. It's an it absolute really disaster. And in fact, I'm wrong. It's not 65 million that we lit on fire. It's 85 million that we lit on fire that summer. That in, Brendan in, lit on fire. That, we, that Brendan we, lit on fire but, in Lovren, Lalana, Lambert, Balotelli, and Markovic. That's 85 million pounds that we have just pissed up against the wall. That we're not in a position to be able to piss up against the wall. Because, you know, our, our net spend that year ends up in about 40 million. Yeah. But at the same time, 40 million isn't a huge amount of money. And a lot of it is, you know, Emre Markovic was a long term signing that just didn't work. Divock, a long term signing. And Albi Moreno was a long. These were players we were looking at as, you know, they could be five, six years here. Maybe the first year or two is settling in and development, but eventually they'll be good players. But. The whole thing was just a mess, and I, 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 I remember fo- I fell out with quite a few people on social media that That's summer. Like you, Dave. Oh yeah, very much so. <laughs> um, you know, I'm normally so mild mannered, and, and, uh, and you get along to get along. But I was having none of it this summer, and I said, on, <laughs> I said in an Anfield Index podcast that summer, Rogers is done. He's done. He's made an absolute mess of this. We're not getting top four. And I got absolutely annihilated on social media the next day. Absolutely what the kids would call cooked. (laughs) So we go into that 14-15 season and every time we win a game, I'm getting dozens and dozens of tweets. Thought we were cooked. Thought we were going to miss top four. And the funniest part is we started that season so badly Nobody said a word to me for the first three or four months. And then we went on that really good run second half of the season. And everybody came out, we're nailed on for top four. We're definitely getting top four. You were wrong. You were wrong. You were wrong. Lovren would have a good game. Lalanne would have a good game. You were wrong about these. By the end of the season, they just all blocked me because they were all afraid of what I might say back. So, you know. Um, Produced. Producer guy, high producer guy, is asking, do you think it would have made any difference for there was that palaver over the signing of Alexis Sanchez? Alexis Sanchez. Sanchez. Yeah, would, so would it would that have made a difference to him signing if we'd been league champions? No, because look, the, the <laughs> line was Alexis Sanchez's wife wants to go to London. Right. Fact check. Alexis Sanchez wasn't married at the time. So throw that in the bin. Here's what actually happened. Alexis Sanchez was open to the move to Liverpool, had almost joined us, by the way, a few years earlier. 
it came down to two clubs. It came down to us and it came down to Arsenal. Brendan Rodgers went on holidays with whoever he was cheating on his wife with at the time. <laughs> and Arsene Wenger went to South America to see Alexis Sanchez. And Wenger sold him on going to Arsenal by going to him in, per- in person. Obviously, the World Cup was going on that year. But he went to him before the World Cup and he stuck around through the World Cup and he talked him into that move. And Rodgers went on holiday. And that's why we missed out on Alexis Sanchez. Because we absolutely could have gotten that deal done. There's no doubt that deal could have been done. But Rodgers was too busy buying shit players and swanning off on holiday with his new teeth. You know. And, yeah, and, uh, and let's be honest, even even if he was at the table, I know we'd come closer to, to winning the league than Arsenal that year. But if you had a chance of working with a legend of the game in Wenger or, yeah. or Brendan Rodgers, who are you, who are you going to choose? And the London thing, it's bullshit. It's thrown about so often that, oh, they want to choose London and they want... London. It's, a, it's always two been hours a very convenient excuse. That's all Absolutely. it is. It's a very convenient excuse for northern clubs. You know, oh, they preferred London. Bollocks. Bollocks. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Just but... not even slightly true. Um, But look, I mean, look, Brendan... Brendan calls us the Chelsea game. Let's be real clear on that. Brendan calls us that Chelsea game, which I know people point to, and I know we've said, look, that's not why we lost the title, and it wasn't. But we could have won the title that day. You know, we might not have, we might not have lost the title that day, but we could definitely have won the title that day because all he had to do was take the draw, just take the draw. So midweek. Mourinho announces he's bringing a rotated team to Anfield midweek before the game. He's very open about it. <laughs> Chelsea must have still been in the European Cup or something. And he said, you know, we're, we're not going to have a full strength team. We're going to, you know, bring some different players. So he rocks up with a heavily rotated team. And you can go and look at the team on the internet and it's very much a second string Chelsea team. All Brendan has to do is take the draw. Take the draw. That So, remember, we lose the title by two points. Take the draw. There's one point. And then all you have to do is beat Crystal Palace and beat and, Newcastle. And goal difference isn't a factor then. Is and it? goal so difference isn't a factor. You end up winning yeah. the title by two clear points if you get the draw against Chelsea, beat Palace, beat Newcastle. And Brendan's fucking ego would not allow him to take the draw. Because Chelsea came and parked the bus. And Mourinho was like, right, that's it. If you're happy to take the draw, we'll be happy to take the draw. And we'll all go home and everything's grand. And Rodgers, think of when Gerrard slipped. He receives the ball just inside his own half. How many Liverpool players are behind him other than the goalkeeper? None. 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 All you need is a draw. Back yourself to go and beat Crystal Palace and Newcastle. All you need is a draw. Yeah. And instead, he's got us all in the opposition half. And you're just playing into Mourinho's hands at that point. And they beat us. We didn't lose the title that day. But we could have won the title that day. Take the draw. 
we go to Palace. We would have beaten Palace if the pressure wasn't there to go and chase the goal difference. Because remember, we're 3-0 up. And we would have beaten Newcastle home. We would have won the league. So Brendan did pay, play a big part in what happened at the end of the season. And Brendan's ego cost us more than Gerard's slip. Um, but yeah, I know that the summer transfer window would not have been any different. Suarez would have gone. We would have signed the same dross. And Alexis Sanchez wouldn't have come because A, Brendan went on holidays. And B, you're right. If you're picking between who do you want to play for, one of the greatest managers ever or a fella who you've never heard of. Yeah, absolutely. But I, th- I think what we, we've sort of done here without even meaning to really is eliminate a lot of people have, have had the fear that, well, if we'd have won that league that year, we never would have got cloth. But I think that's absolute nonsense because I think mm. Brendan still would have, we still would have had a similar transfer window. So without Suarez, the Carrius, only we still thing have a similar sort say, of season. The only thing I would say is if he does win the league, it probably gets him a bit more rope. So maybe even after the disastrous 14-15 season when we finished sixth, even after the bad start in 16-17, maybe they still give him a bit more rope because he did win the league title. Like they sacked him after eight games. Everybody knew that the sacking was coming. Graham Kelly had said it on Twitter midweek. Rodgers has gone after the derby, no matter the result. Everybody knew uh, that he was gone. And the funniest part of the of that was we, we played Everton, we drew 1-1. And if you remember, the Sky in the studio say Liverpool have parted ways of Brendan Rodgers. And Henri puts his hand on Carragher's lap with a big kind of surprise looking Carragher's kind of no, I already knew that was coming because everybody knew. We all knew it was happening. Um, but I do wonder if he had won the league, would they just have given him a bit more rope? Would they just have put up with a bit more of the Brendan experience? I hope not. I would hope not. But it is possible that they might have. But we do probably still end up with Klein or with Klopp because he, he wouldn't have seen out the season. You know, we were no. that bad under him that it was it was only going one way and none of it was good. So we, we probably still end up with Klopp. But, you know, we, maybe not. Maybe someone else nips in and grabs him. There's only a handful of clubs I think Klopp would have would want to manage. Like Dortmund, us. I think he'd go to like Marseille. I think he'd take a Napoli job. Those type of clubs where there's a real cult you know and I don't want that to sound like a negative thing but there's a real like Liverpool fans are like a cult onto themselves there's, there's, there's certain principles we have as Liverpool fans that don't necessarily apply to other clubs but Marseille uh, Dortmund and and Napoli are, are kind of clubs we do identify ourselves with um, you know kind of more socialist uh, immigrant heavy places especially with marseille and naples you know they're, they're port cities like liverpool is and there's a, kind of an immigrant nature to the city um i think klopp likes that he likes the fanaticism so if one of those jobs had come up maybe he could have gone there uh but i do think we probably would have ended up getting him regardless i think we would the only other sort of comparison you can make really under under these owners is 
that they did get rid of Kenny after a poor season. And Kenny's an all-time legend, a lot higher up than Brendan when they got Brendan, who at the time they thought was the right man. So possibly you're right that he would have had a, a little bit more time, maybe a few more games or until the Christmas then. But I think, I think the season after happened regardless whether we win the league or not, because as we've discussed, the transfer window, I don't think there's any difference mm. to that, really. Those those are the players Brendan wanted. Brendan's ego got in those players, and it was a shit show for 15 months after that, wasn't it, really, until he left and Klopp came in and saved us. Yeah, yeah, he did entirely. Um, and it was. It was the, the last... The last 15 months of Rodgers was just horrible. And I remember watching those games in 14-15. And I remember we'd be doing, like, the AI pods, and I used to just be fucking livid. Every single week we'd go on, we'd just be livid. Like, like when we lost to West Ham 3-1 at the start of that season, I think it was, like, game four or five. And Lovren put in, without question, the worst performance I'd ever seen from a centre-back gifted them goals and people were like oh maybe you're right about this you know maybe maybe Lovren isn't very good and I was like no he's not very good he's crap like he's actually crap here and then it would go on and on through that season then we had the decent run to turn things around we go into 50 but like at the end of that season as well was just a disgrace like losing at home to Crystal Palace in Stevie's last home game and putting up no fight at all and then going to Stoke, Stoke, see, and and losing six one to fucking Stoke. As as poor a season as it had been, I was at a wedding that day with really poor internet signal, and somebody had come in and said, "Oh, the Liverpool game six one." And as poor as the season had been, I was like, "Oh bloody hell, what? That's a great way to end the season." So then later, find out that actually we'd lost. Yeah, six one. Not one six one, and something must have been in the pipeline for Klopp then. For I don't know how he didn't get sacked that summer. Like he, he obviously he threw all of his staff under the bus, including Colin Pasco, who was his best mate, which yes. tells you all you need to know about Brendan as a man. He threw them all under the bus. He brought in Sean O'Driscoll, who was a mediocre coach and a mediocre manager, called him the best technical coach he'd ever been around. Uh, I think he put Gary McAllister on the coaching staff and a couple of guys. Oh, just, it was just horrendous. The end of that season. I remember for that last game, I, I was like, I'm not watching. I said to Gags, <laughs> I'm, I'm not watching that game. I'm not even going to, I, I don't want to be on the podcast. I'm not watching the game. And I went to, uh, I want to say Carlingford or somewhere, some kind of, town on the coast about an hour from home and I remember walking past the pub and the game was on the TV and I stopped and I watched about five minutes and the football we played was an abomination but they scored two goals they were one up no were they one up no they were three up and they scored two just before half time and we went in 5-0 down at half time. And I remember thinking, what the fuck am I after missing here? How are we 5-0 down? So I was I went over to some fella who was like, you know, clearly very annoyed. So I assumed he was a Liverpool fan. I was like, how are Liverpool 5-0 down? Did they have someone sent off? And he ranted. He began, I don't know who this man was. I'd never spoken to him <laughs> before or since. 
he started ranting about 60 seconds after the halftime whistle blew and didn't stop ranting until the second half was underway. He ranted the whole halftime about Rodgers, about the players, they don't care, they're a disgrace. And I had to leave at that point because I'm like, I'm not watching that. And I remember tweeting, if you're happy with this fella to stay in charge, you don't support the same club as me. And at that point, I think almost all of the fans were fan base was in agreement. He has to go. Bar one, quite prominent, quite influential collective who were in his pocket to get interviews with him. And they were adamant he had to stay. And that summer, that 2015 summer, if you remember, was about as toxic as this Liverpool fan base has ever been. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely horrific because of him, over him. Shambles, shambles. But the what if, what if we won the league? At least Gerard would have his medal that he deserved. But I think you are right. I think he would have ended up getting sacked. Maybe not at the time he did, but certainly within a couple of months of it. And we probably end up with Klopp anyway. Yeah, fully agree. I think the, the main thing is Gerard gets his league. Well, level on 20 league titles with them up the East Lanks Road, but in terms of changing the way the future shaped, I, I don't think it would have made any impact at all. And I think that's a lot easier to say now, six, seven years down the line, with, with looking at Rogers' record since then, what he did the summer after that with us, what he's done at Leicester with transfers. It's the way he used or misused the transfer committee that since we've had a clock come in, you can see how, how it can work. If if it's all worked in unity and the manager works alongside the recruitment team, how successful it can be. It's the same people that are there doing the job now. It's just we've got a better manager and a manager that's prepared to use their strengths and admit his weaknesses. He's, he's admitted that he didn't want Mo. He was after somebody else. You can't imagine Rodgers doing that. He's got too far too big an ego. And No, Rodgers wouldn't claim credit for everything. Like, that Absolutely. was always Brendan's thing. Everything good was Brendan, and everything bad was somebody else's fault. Yeah, Mike Marsh or Colin Pascoe. Yeah. But yeah, so I think I think you're right. Yeah, it would have been brilliant for for us, for Stevie, for Suarez after the season he'd had to win the league. But those of you that are listening that had the fear that, well, if we'd have won the league, we wouldn't have got Klopp. I think we've put that theory to bed anyway. So, fantastic. I think we'll leave it there. Dave, you're very busy. I'm sure you've got another couple of pods to record today, ever the AI man. So thank you very much for giving me your time today and to guys for producing and hope you all enjoyed the show. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.